Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the LawCast. This time, we're going back to cover one of the worst drawing pay-per-views in WWE history. It's Battleground 2013. Kyush, answer the question our audience must be asking right now. Why the hell are we covering this show? Okay, so obviously, this is not only a show that wasn't very successful financially for reasons we're about to get into, but also has basically been stricken from the minds of the viewing public. And I completely understand that. However, there's one perfect, beautiful diamond of a gym in the center of this show that has gone forgotten for too long. And we, as your wrestling historian friends, are here to bring it back to you in full color. And oddly enough, it's a match that's become much more relevant as time has gone on here. Oh, yeah. Cody Rhodes has become one of the biggest stars in wrestling, and him and Roman Reigns are gearing up to uh, main event WrestleMania for the second year in a row. Speaking of which, my God, the electricity in the stare down between those two guys on SmackDown was unreal. I'm not going to lie to you. I do get a giddy little thrill every time I get to say I told you so. I don't get to say it all that often because I say a bunch of takes that are usually way off base and my predictions (laughs) never come true. Um, But the thing where people were like, why aren't they blowing this off at WrestleMania? And I was just like, guys, when they bring it back around, you'll want it twice as much. No, I, I noticed that I'm not hearing nearly as much like they screwed up not putting the belt on Cody back at WrestleMania these days. Not hearing so much of that anymore. You gotta leave him wanting more, baby. Uh, you gotta leave him wanting more. Oh, credit to the man with the pencil, and we'll talk about that as part of our But First, We've Got Three Current Wrestling Stories to Talk About segment. Um, oh, yeah. Number one, debrief on the Tuesday Night War, an unforgettable night. And I'm only half joking. Like, this did, didn't, I mean, this brought, to me, brought back memories of the Monday Night Wars. Like, this was like the old days. Two live shows just throwing everything they had at each other. NXT and Dynamite went head-to-head last Tuesday night. NXT won for overall viewership pretty big. They were over 900,000. AEW barely broke 600,000. But the demo race was much closer. NXT won, but only 0.3 to 0.26. That is pretty tight and I think kind of impressive for AEW to come that close when you think about the fact that WWE had John Cena, Cody Rhodes, LA Knight, and the fucking Undertaker on NXT. See, I gotta say, like... When NXT literally loaded up, because this is personal for them, as we've covered previously, Triple H takes this shit personally because AEW almost destroyed his entire career in his wrestling dream. He was out to murder AEW. And my honest stand was, I don't think Tony Khan should have even fought. No. I honestly think it should have just been a normal episode of Dynamite because there was no winning. There was no No, you're on the wrong way. night. Nobody was going to watch this episode. Yeah, even at the best of times on your home night, they're loading it up to beat you. The best thing you can do is put on a normal show and be like, all right, well, you beat my normal show. Didn't get my fastball. We'll meet again down the line when I'm ready. But, like, Tony Khan, bless his heart, has never failed to rise to a challenge. He's been, like drunk on like confidence like throwing out barbs left and right to wwe the war is on in earnest boys and girls 
Yeah, speaking of making it personal, man, Tony Khan's Twitter feed this week, uh, calling Shawn Michaels and Triple H bald assholes and <laughs> mocking Cena and The Undertaker for being on a show that did under a million viewers and, I don't know, taking some shots at Vince. Uh, he's been on one this week. And, like, bless him for that. I know there are a ton of people, especially AEW fans, who are like, dude, shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Like, you're going too far. Like, they're good. Because we all know that, like, there, there are few people in the world more petty than Triple H is. And I don't necessarily mean that as a negative. I just mean that, like, if you go try to piss him off, he will literally dedicate his life to trying to yeah. destroy you. That's what he does. The wrestling business is full of people like that. How much we talked last week all about like Steve Austin and Jeff Jarrett and the way little slights can fuel people for an entire career. I mean, this is an industry where you have to manufacture hatred. In real sports, the rivalries are real. The hatred is real. You actually get it. In this, you really have to come up with reasons why your character would be mad. And that just becomes a skill that these people have of like manufacturing anger and using it. The funniest thing for me is that probably the most prominent critic of Tony Khan and AEW, maybe it's Jim Cornette, but I'll throw Eric Bischoff in there. And what is Tony Khan if not like a 2023 version of Eric Bischoff from 1996? The most incredible thing about Tony Khan is that he's Eric Bischoff if Bischoff had Ted Turner's money. Yeah, like, personally. Like if he was actually the guy with the bankroll. Oh, man. Uh, anything else on the Tuesday Night War? I don't think so. I I would be excited to see these guys go head-to-head again. It's still up in the air where Raw is actually going to land. It would be fascinating if it landed on Wednesdays, because I think that's something Triple H would genuinely love. Yeah, I think the next head-to-head... I think there's a Friday episode of Collision coming up in November... Which, I mean, Collision and Rampage are basically non-factors at this point yeah. when it comes to competition. Like, it must be like the night before full, I think full gear's on a Saturday, maybe, so it might be the night before full gear. But yeah, we're going to have that head-to-head against SmackDown, which is not. No, SmackDown's no going to annihilate it. SmackDown. But yeah, I mean, that's who knows? Maybe that SmackDown will have Cody Rhodes versus Roman Reigns. Like, I was we'll literally see. about to say, like, Triple H is going to be like, oh, right, motherfucker, we're doing WrestleMania on Friday. <laughs> Yeah, maybe CM Punk will come back on that SmackDown, or maybe he won't, because news item two, it's so over, Punk isn't coming back to WWE. This really took a turn. This is so interesting, because a lot of this, like, the interest here has to do with, like, like the way that this has been reported here and there, because as we know, the person dealing all the news about CM Punk stories is CM Punk himself. And it seems like he was feeding to everybody. Yes, I am in fact going back. And then WWE is like, no, No, you're not. (laughs) Now here's the thing. These, the teases have been so flagrant, like Nakamura literally out of nowhere, hit a GTS on raw. Yep. Could CM Punk be working the wrestling media both to make his surprise a bigger return, but also because he wants to embarrass them? Now, that is absolutely true. And if I was booking this, that's exactly what I would do. Because if you bring him back at Survivor Series now, it's not even slightly a surprise. Like, it's literally almost meaningless. It'll be exciting, but everyone knows that it's coming. If you find a way to bring him back when people aren't expecting it, then suddenly you get a kick-ass situation. 
Now, the deny. Here's the thing. It just seems like the denial seems so strong that it would surprise. It does seem like the way to deny it if you're WWE would just you would just keep saying he's not under contract. He hasn't signed his contract because that would literally be true. They might right. they could have a verbal agreement, but they haven't worked out a contract. You know, he hasn't signed on the dotted line. He might not do that until Survivor Series even if you've already worked out the deal in advance. Right. But this is much more like Meltzer was like, they turned him down, which I have a hard time believing he'd have said that unless he had really strong sources from WWE telling him that. Especially with the previous reporting he's made about Punk, he's just opening himself up to being called an asshole by every corner of the internet if he's wrong. So yeah, I think you're right. So yeah, this will be interesting. We'll see it. You know, in our initial instinct on this was that they wouldn't bring him in because they just didn't need him. He's, you know, a controversial guy who could cause trouble when you've got a good thing going in a harmonious locker room. And maybe that was correct. But it is interesting, like the temptation to bring him in, even on limited dates, must be absolutely out of control. Like, obviously, you're in a boom period. You don't need a CM Punk, but like, that's the perfect time to bring him in because then you're not beholden to him. You can just add him to what you already have and like add some spice. That's fantastic. You don't want to bring him in in like the AEW scenario where if he starts to go off the rails, like he basically owns half the company. Yeah, so. Look, we're never going to be free from CM Punk. We'll be talking about the guy until the day he dies. Uh, you're right. <laughs> so I'm sure we'll have more on this in the future. The third story this week, um, it seems like there was a power struggle in WWE and Vince McMahon lost. This is some interesting reporting. Um, Triple H reportedly has final say over creative decisions, even over Vince McMahon. It's apparently a directive from Ari Emanuel, who's the big boss of the merged WWE UFC monstrosity conglomerate. Um, also in an interview this week, Emmanuel, when he, he, Ari Emanuel was asked like why TKO's stock had declined. And one of his reasons was Vince holding the right to sell his stock. He, the fact that he just kind of put Vince on blast publicly like that, I found interesting. Um, did Vince McMahon get worked here? Did Ari Emanuel, the master of the craft, get him to sell his company and then freeze him out? I find it absolutely fascinating that, like, Vince made this deal and it genuinely seems like he thought that there was some sort of established thing where, like, no one was going to fuck with him. He was still going to be fully in charge. And maybe, indeed, he did think that that was the case. Um, but Ari, he gave up full power to Ari Emanuel. It's no longer like I own all the stock share. So at the end of the day, it's still me. It's not, it's Ari. He's in charge. And I don't think anybody really fully grasped how serious it was that a different person now has complete control over WWE because to Ari's credit, he noticed the stock price and he's managing the company. He now is in charge of running. (laughs) Now here's the thing. I feel like it's in TKO's best interest to make it seem like Vince isn't very involved due to the near, like Vince McMahon is old and could die. Vince McMahon could decide he wants out and sell all his shares. Vince McMahon could get indicted for the myriad of like legal things he's in trouble for. Vince McMahon could have more scandals and be forced out of the company. 
And so it's in everyone's best interest to, even if it's not true, pretend like he's not very involved. So I do wonder about it from that perspective. And you're absolutely right. Um, I do think that maybe his uh, health is really bad and we don't know. Maybe he was always planning on walking away, though that's kind of hard to believe. You're right. But but saying that it's a dramatic shakeup change is going to imp- increase the stock price more than just doing it behind the scenes would. So that's also absolutely an option. But it is very possible because if you just flatly look, Triple H being in charge has been unquestionably success like you can't even look at it any other way when vince went away the business immediately skyrocketed has stayed there the entire time like live attendance through the roof uh pay-per-view we don't know what like pay-per-view sales and stuff are but the ratings have held strong like there's just nothing there's no way viewership on peacock is way way up from where it was before and Even like, as Peacock, I think, has fewer subscribers because it's Comcast stopped giving it away for free. And the funny thing is, is that I think that one of the metrics that we really should be looking at more in the new era is YouTube views, because I honestly yeah. think that that's how more people like consume the product now. And they're doing like just look at the bloodline segments alone. They're getting like 10 million views on random Smackdown segments like it's. That's most a lot of YouTube views just come from India. Like that's primarily where YouTube yeah. views come from. But even so, that's, that's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I'm so interested in this. The question, aren't there probably more people watching WWE worldwide than there ever have been? They just have, have so be. much more distribution now than they used to. It, like, I, and I don't know. It would be so I wish we could find a way. Like, I'm so curious, like. How many people on some level, like, watch WWE even passively? Because, like, so many of their viewers, like, you would have to classify me as a fan of WWE, but I'm not showing up in the Nielsen ratings. I don't have traditional cable anymore, and I don't even watch, you know, I don't even watch on Hulu most weeks. I just watch the pay-per-views for the most part. How many people are actually following this? (laughs) And, like, how has it changed over the years is what I'm curious about. This is anecdotal, but this is what I've noticed a lot from people, especially like on Twitter and stuff, is that like the number of people who actively watch their shows week to week is way, way, way lower than the number of people who are like follow a bunch of WWE accounts and like see the clips on Twitter and follow it that way or like are on like a Facebook fan page or like check it out like that. It's so easy to do that. Even me, somebody who seeks out wrestling like the majority of how I consume wrestling now is I have scroll my Twitter feed and like, oh, like, here's how I follow this company and this company and this company. Here's what happened last night. Here's what happened then. It's just easier that way. Yeah. And there's no way to measure it. <laughs> it's interesting because, yeah, it feels like their reach is just so much bigger than what the, you know, weekly report on, oh, you know, 1.8 million people or whatever watch Raw. I just think that's only a fry. I'm curious, like how much, how what what multiple size is their audience? But that is the important number because that's the number that drives their TV money, which is their biggest money maker. Yeah. Aside from buying pay per views on AEW, I don't think I've watched like a live television broadcast of a wrestling show in five years. Wow. Like certainly not a WWE one. Like it's yeah. like. Like, my schedule's fucked up, so I always watch them, like, the next morning or whatever. But, like, I think a lot of people are like that. Yeah. On-demand viewership has really changed the world. All right. With that, 
Let's get into Battleground 2013. Can you believe this was 10 years ago? Actually, I can because this feels like another century. It feels like a lot of the times when we do these ones in like the late thousands, I'm like, oh, man, like not that much has changed. Uh, No, on this show, everything has changed. What a brutal, depressing time for WWE this is. And like, it's almost difficult to remember, too, because like this is actually like the best time right now that we're this show that we're covering, because we've just come out of like a two year deep, dark depression it was depressing and bad, and then we got punk. And oh man, that was great. And then it fell even further down when that fizzled out. <laughs> and now we are living in the darkness, and Daniel Bryan has appeared as the only light of hope and redemption. Yeah, back in August, we did SummerSlam, where Daniel Bryan shocked the world and beat Triple H to win the WWE Championship. But only seconds later, he was betrayed by Triple H. And Randy Orton cashed in money in, money in the bank and left SummerSlam as the WWE champion. And it felt like we were perfectly set up for like an old school, you know, Jim Crockett promotions, Dusty Horseman chase that Daniel Bryan would have to go all the way to WrestleMania before he could finally get his shot at Randy Orton. And then it turned out that wasn't the plan at all. It's so funny looking back on it, because at the time that seemed obvious that that was the plan. Looking back on it now, what is very obvious is that they're like, all right, we're not going with Brian, but we can use his overness that he suddenly has as a vehicle to get over a dominant heel faction that we can then make the next big baby face with, which isn't a horrible idea if you don't think Brian's for real. Like... They're trying to make the authority happen, not Daniel Bryan. And I think they're already thinking ahead, too. And the guy who finally beats the authority can be Roman Reigns when he gets kicked out of it. Like, they're looking all the way down the road to, like, WrestleMania in 2015 at making Roman Reigns. And I don't even necessarily think that they were wrong to think about this that way. Like, I... It's the same thing that we're dealing with with L.A. Night now where they're like, is it real? Because it like it's completely out of nowhere and it's gigantic. But is it going to fade away? We're not going to base the whole company out of on what may be a flash in the pan. But the authority is a tremendous idea, an amazing jumping off point for a ton of baby faces for the next year and a half. So, like, I don't blame them for making that the priority. Yeah, so if Triple H and Stephanie is the heel authority figures, which they are, of course, brilliant at. I mean, we haven't seen a heel Triple H in a while at this point. This was a good reminder. Not only that he's a great heel, but also this like a slit like authority suit Triple H just feels like the role he was born to play. Like what a slime ball. And he just feels like when he's in the suit. There's just such like a menace to him that like I never really feel like when he's a wrestler, like it's just you really feel like, oh, no, this man could ruin your life. I mean, part of it is he's so much bigger than most of the actual wrestler. (laughs) Everybody else is way smaller and he's like in better shape than he's ever been. So he's bigger than everybody at this point. And he got down so perfectly that idea of like the jovial, everything's going right, Triple H, and then something goes wrong and he scowls. But the best part of this dynamic is just we haven't seen Stephanie and Triple H on screen together working together like this since the McMahon-Helmsley era. And this is a reminder that they are the greatest on-screen duo that ever existed. That's actually a good point. I mean, Stephanie really hadn't been around much for years because they'd had kids and she was mostly 
staying home with them. But yeah, we had not seen them together in forever. So like their dynamic where she is the most vicious, bloodthirsty, horrifyingly bad human being who ever lived. And he's shitty too, but not quite as bad as her. But now he's the muscle backing her up is just perfection. So then at Night of Champions, uh, Daniel Bryan got to face Randy Orton for the title and he beat him, which was one <laughs> about as stunned as I've ever been by the outcome of a wrestling match. Wouldn't have called that in a million years. And I'm going to give credit, like, the the finish that they do to this is actually genuinely one of the most clever ways to get out of something like that that I've seen. Where they have it like, oh, sorry, fast count. Looks like you were in on it, Daniel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so Scott Armstrong fast counts Randy Orton at the finish. And unlike Nick Patrick at Starcade, he actually managed to count fast. Good job, Scotty. Yeah, God, can you imagine how much that would have buried the whole thing if he had fucked it up? Yeah, so the next night, I don't know exactly what we were supposed to think. He, I think like we're supposed to think Scott Armstrong was sincere at first, and then he sold out to the authority to get his job back. But yeah, they do this thing where Armstrong says something like, they've got us, Daniel, and Triple H's like, wait, what did you just say? WWE officials need to have the highest levels of integrity. You're fired, Scott Armstrong. And then poor Daniel Bryan sitting there like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? Yeah, yeah like, I I can't remember exactly what happened in Night of Champions. I think maybe Orton beat up Scott Armstrong and that led him to do the quick three count. But there's different ways this could go. But Triple H announces the title is held up. Uses the phrase held in abeyance, which... Shows me Vince was reading his dictionary and was working his way through the A's at this point. Oh, yeah. And then tells Orton, like, you're not just going to get it. You got beat by Brian. You fucking suck now. You got to go back to being the horrible Viper, the one who beat the shit out of me and molested my wife. (laughs) I know, right? Uh, Raw that night ended with Orton in the Shield beating up Brian for like the millionth time. But then they were saved. Brian was saved by the entire babyface roster in, in an incredibly cool moment. And see, this is one of those things where like people would always talk about how like Brian wasn't getting the push for real. But like nobody really gets moments like that. So like I guess they really were going with him to some extent because like really. I can't think of another babyface in even recent times who got like supportive babyface pushes like that. Maybe Kofi went during his WrestleMania run. The I mean, do, do you remember? I think this was inspired by. Do you remember the time this happened? Evolution. No. It was in like late 2003, I think. Maybe around the time they did the Survivor Series. Maybe it was 04. Maybe it was when they did the Survivor Series. But like, it just at some point, Evolution like. There's just an uprising and they go to like run out of the crowd and they realize that all the baby faces have like surrounded the ring and they have nowhere to go. And they just I, get their asses beat by the entire roster. I do remember that. That kicks ass. It was awesome. Yeah, I always love the the I, I always love like the everybody uniting. And maybe it was a little soon to do this because the authorities only been around a few weeks. But you know, I do wonder sometimes if this is might be the era where they start responding to social media a little bit. And if you were on message boards back then, everybody was complaining about how much Daniel Bryan was getting buried because, you know, he was getting heat put on him every week. 
the realistic thing is that like this is so high stakes for people online and yeah. it's tough it's tough to remember that if you have weren't there at the time and it's because we literally just watch punk get booked into oblivion and that's the only way to put it is that like the booking annihilated him we there's no one else on this roster that you could see even imaginably making people happy to see them God, get pushed. No. Like, there's no smart favorites here anymore. Not really. Cody Rhodes and Goldust, I guess. But they, before this storyline, they were nothing from nowhere. <laughs> so, like, if they blow it with Brian, people are just going to have to walk away. <laughs> so here we're going to get Brian versus Orton for the vacant title. I... <laughs> Too much Brian versus, but again, they're trying to burn that out. They want to burn through that. And I honestly think they're intentionally trying to cool Brian off at a certain point. Like it ends up being a big problem for them that he overshadows the entire roster. That's the thing is that like, I, I, we, I've walked through this booking line for them a million times. Like they're like, okay, he's a star now. We're going to keep him a star, but he's not going to be the star. We're going to bring him down. We got a hot heel coming up in Bray Wyatt that he can work with and get all the way to WrestleMania with. That's going to be awesome. Everyone will be perfectly happy with that. Meanwhile, we have Batista coming back. Him versus the authority is going to be a big, huge hit. It's going to be great. We have all the plans in place. No one's going to have a problem with that, except they couldn't possibly have understood what they've unleashed here. So let's talk about the Shields and the Rhodes. Yeah. Right after SummerSlam, Cody gets in trouble for complaining about the authority on social media. And he's booked in a match against his old mentor, Randy Orton, where he has to win or get fired. And, of course, he gets RKO'd and pinned, and he gets fired. This was a cover because he was about to get married. Him and Brandy were getting married, and he was going to go away on his honeymoon for a week. I'm not sure they actually planned on doing this whole storyline. I think, honestly, it may have just been planned to be that. Um, but it definitely works out for Cody. Cody's doing jack-fucking-shit before this happens. He's been working with Damian Sandow. Like, literally. They basically turn him face with this. And like bless their hearts. And really what they I think they found surprising is that he got a lot of like sympathetic cheers from the crowd during that Orton match that I don't think they thought he would get. The next week, Goldust showed up and he begged Triple H to rehire Cody. He was also given a match with Randy Orton where he had to win to get Cody's job back. Of course, he lost too. Can't he cuts he cuts a promo on that raw that was like really affecting to me at the time that was all about like I failed Cody again and yeah. again I was so bitter at Dusty that I missed his whole childhood I'm not I'm gonna be his big brother and I'm gonna stand up for him and do right by him for the first time Man, and then he loses the raw that's what makes this storyline for me is just how raw and real the roads are about being willing to talk about the real problems they had with each other. One of the most affecting things about this match is that, for all I know, this is the first time these three men have been, like, happily in a room together in the last 25 years. It's the first time Cody and Dustin have ever teamed up. And, like, Cody and Dustin, yeah, they're brothers, but Dustin is 16 years older than Cody. 
By yeah, the time Cody could even walk, yeah, A, it's the other thing. They have different moms. Like, Cody is from Dusty's second marriage. He has a different mom than Dustin does. And, like, by the time Cody could walk, Dustin was already a pro wrestler. Dustin was the was the kid when Dusty was on the road. He never yeah. dad. He had a horrible childhood. Got in the business too early. Cody had everything. Dusty was at all of his sporting events. Yeah. He had like a wonderful loving family unit. Dusty was retired for most of his childhood. Yeah, by the time when Cody is what? Cody's born in 86. So when Cody is five, Dusty goes back to WCW and he has an office job. Like he's working in the office in Atlanta and he's doing TV announcing. So like that's, you know, one day, you know, they might do two TV tapings a month and most of them are in Atlanta. And then once Nitro starts, you know, he's gone one day a week, but that's not the end of the world. And like, he can see his dad on TV and stuff like that. Like Dustin, literally Dusty was like on the road in territories in the seventies. Like you don't know where the fuck your dad is. So September 16th Raw, Dusty Rhodes comes to the show. He comes out, cuts a brilliant, beautiful promo about going broke as a wrestler and how he fought through it for the love of his sons. And the last thing he wants is for his sons to go broke because they're lo- because they lost their jobs. Stephanie comes out and gives Dusty a Bed Bath and Beyond gift card as a wedding gift for Cody and Brandy. <laughs> and she's like, "What? Well, it's where they were registered." That's the funniest that shit anyone so has good. ever done. Yeah, here's a $25 gift card to Bed Bath and Beyond. Oh my god. She then gives Dusty a devil's proposal. They'll rehire one of his sons, either Cody or Dustin. He has to pick. He can either save his golden boy, Cody, the one he, you know, built from birth to be the perfect pro wrestler and carry on his legacy, or he can finally make good to his screw-up son, Dustin, who he neglected for all these years. And she actually says all that. Yes, she lays this whole thing out with a, a, a level of malice that only Stephanie McMahon of all human beings on Earth can achieve. Dusty, of course, will not play that game. He's not going to make that choice. And as he points out, his sons wouldn't want him to either. They would rather both be fired than have to make their dad choose like that. He asks Stephanie, you know, in the morning when your girls come down for breakfast, do you line them up in the order they're your favorites? I don't think you do. This is a brilliant Dusty promo. So, I mean, Dream is pretty old here, and he's only going to be alive another two years, but my God, is this a great final act for him? Well, that's really the other thing about this match that I think gets lost in the shuffle, is that, like, this is really his swan song. This yeah. is the last truly great thing that he does on screen. And, and Cody, said, Cody said he didn't want to do it, because he just, he didn't think anybody would care, and 
I don't think he felt good about how he, you know, he'd lost a lot of weight, but like not in a good way. Right. He wasn't in great health. It was hard for him to even get in the ring. So he really didn't want to do this and they had to talk him into it. And thank God they did. Cause I love that. He got this final act with his sons. And without him, like this is good, but it doesn't work. It's like the way it tears dusty apart and yep. the sins of the father and all of that is what may, really puts the emotional edge on this. Uh, Stephanie asked him if he was going to leave his sons behind, just like he left them behind all those years he was on the road. <laughs> Dusty tells her to go to hell. And then she brings out the shield in the big show and she gives Dusty another choice, whether he wants to fight the shield or the big show. Again, this is <laughs> authority. Stephanie maybe my favorite wrestling character of all time because she always knows exactly the right thing to say to get under not just the wrestler skin, but our skin for them. And then like the threats are just like fucking next level. But this next part genuinely like made me tear up when I watched it the first time. So big show gets in the ring and big shows like, I'm not going to fucking do this. No, I love dusty roads. Like everyone loves dusty roads. I'm not going to do this. And she makes him. Yeah. And he hugs Dusty and says, I'm sorry, and then punches him right in the fucking face and then hugs his corpse on the ground. It's like he blew his head off with a 12 gauge. And literally, like, Big Show's sobbing. Big Show, his acting here is incredible. Like, we've seen this role from him a couple of times where, like, he's forced to do things against his will and then it turns out he's actually a heel the whole time, blah, blah, blah. But this is the best time. He's at the peak of his physical condition, the peak of his acting skills. And this thing where, like, the authority owns him because they know exactly, like, yeah. you're a giant, you're going to die soon. He's running out of money, yeah. Your family needs money or they're going to starve, so you're going to do all these bad. You've made all these bad investments, which I think is true. Like, yeah. That's the other thing they're doing here. They're doing a lot of real stuff. Like, I think it is true that Big Show made a bunch of bad investments and lost all his money. Yeah. I think that's one of the big reasons why he got back in shape for a real run is that he needed yeah. to like he he needed to come back and like have a run. And so like that's really, really strong. And like the look in Big Show's eyes like, man, you believe that shit. Like man, I, I got to kill yeah, my I remember, hero. I remember when Stephanie said like, and here's what really scares you. You know, giants don't live as long as normal sized people. It's like, oh, you're not supposed to go there. It's true. You're not supposed to talk about it. The human, the human body is not meant to be that size. And that's the special thing about the authority to me is that like for, they got carte blanche to go there for real. Every authority thing is based on what we as fans understand to be the reality. It's not kayfabe reality, but it's not necessarily all reality reality. It's somewhere in between. So it's just like whatever it is that we think we know that they're holding down Daniel Bryan. We know that they're holding down Dolph Ziggler. So they just make that the reality on screen. It's perfect. The next week, September 30th Raw, we get Dustin, Dusty, and Cody all together. The Authority make them another offer. This is going to be box office. Cody and Dustin get their jobs back if they can beat the Shield at Battleground in a tag match. But if they lost, they would never work in WWE again, and Dusty would lose his job in NXT. 
I think they should have gone further with this and been like, you're out of the we, Hall of Fame. We yeah. strike your name from the record books. You never existed. Yeah. No legacy, one will even dare speak your name. The Rhodes family is dead forever. <laughs> Triple H gets in a great line here where he's like, what, Dusty, are you just bitter because you couldn't get the polka dots over? Fuck. <laughs> he's literally like, what, well, is it just because you couldn't get over in WWE? We gave you the polka dots. I think, honestly, like some of this is them just trying to get Dusty fired up because they know they're going to get some good <laughs> shit out of him if they do. Oh, man. Dusty grabs the mic. He steps to Triple H. He's like, you're big on getting in people's faces. And he steps right up to him, gets like an inch from his face. He goes, one stipulation, I'm in my boy's corner, and I'll be your Huckleberry all night long. And like, this gets, again, I don't know what they thought, like the reaction to all of this was going to be. They probably thought this was going to be like a nice mid-card storyline. Everything involving Dusty Rhodes is getting yeah. monstrous ovations. The pop he gets when he steps to Triple H and then puts his hand in Stephanie's face when she and, starts to say something, which that caused all kinds of shit backstage, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. You can see the look on her face as she swats his hand out of the way. Yeah. Like, she's pissed, real pissed. And, like, Triple H, I don't know if this is, like, part of the act. War, he's literally like, hey, don't cross the line, old man. Oh man. Anyway, then the Shield shows up. They beat up Cody and Dust, and they even and they even put the boots to Dusty. Which, oh my God, the heat for that. Yeah. Yeah. So reportedly, Dusty got a lot of heat with Stephanie for these promos. He went off script. He one up her in Triple H. I just Dusty's not gonna follow this. Trying to the arrogance to try to script Dusty Rhodes is just one of those things I have trouble wrapping my head around. The idea that anyone would think they could write a promo for dusty but also like part of what makes this work is if this was nothing but like heat 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 from the authority you'd never buy that they could actually win dusty getting in lines is actually what gives you some hope that this is a real thing um and a final note before the lightning round in an interview in 2016 Cody said that him and Triple H had talked about doing a War Games match here at Battleground. Cody also mentioned that they had talked about having Cody be the Midnight Rider and come back after he got fired. And Cody even commissioned a mask for it. What bull crockett bullshit (laughs) was Southern Wrestling bullshit were these guys trying to book here? Again, we've talked many times about how obvious it is that Cody and Triple H just hang out backstage watching yeah. Jim Crockett tapes, being like, hey, y'all want to watch a, a bunkhouse brawl? <laughs> no, just us? Like, you know, like, Cody would get back to his hotel room on the road every night and call Triple H at home, and they would just talk about Crockett for, like, two hours. Okay, here's the thing. War Games was never going to happen because Vince fucking hates War Games. And also, it just doesn't really make sense because they don't have enough people to fold into the storyline to make that work. You can do the Shield and Orton against Cody and Danielson and 
like Ziggler and Big Show or Cena if Cena was healthy in time. Like you can make it work. You have enough baby faces. You can do a War Games match and it would spare us from another Orton Danielson match with no finish. And really, but really that should be saved for like Survivor Series most sure. likely. Yeah. But the Midnight Rider, honestly, I'm surprised they didn't make that happen. And I think the only reason they didn't is because Vince had such a bad taste in his mouth about Mr. America. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I picture Cody and Triple H going to talk to Vince about doing a war. Like, I just imagine Will Ferrell and John C. Riley and Step Brothers, where they're asking if they can make their beds into bunk beds. Like, Cody and Triple H just go to Vince, and they're like, uh, well, we've been talking and we were thinking maybe it would be cool if we could do a War Games match. And, like, in the background, you see, like, the giant cage has already been constructed and it's <laughs> hanging there. And then Vince is like, no, god damn it. How many times do I have to tell you? No fucking War Games. I love the idea of Triple H being like, the old man's never seen Florida. So don't worry, we can pitch it to him. And they're, like, pitching Midnight Rider. And they get, like, halfway through and Vince is like, this is fucking Midnight Rider, isn't it? I- <laughs> Not an idiot. <laughs> oh, shit. He does know about that. <laughs> oh, man. It took Vince being fired for Triple H to finally get to do war games. Yep. <sighs> that's why this pay-per-view, like, that's why this pay-per-view was called ba- Battleground, because they were pitching war games here. But Vince hates... Vince hates it. He hates that they can't sit like they can't sell as many seats on the floor with the two rings. And more than anything, I think he just hates the idea of doing something that comes from another company. Yep. And I mean, I guess that makes sense. It's just funny, though, because Dusty himself is involved. So can you imagine like the ovation if Dusty says, yeah, we're going to do it and we're going to do it in war games War games (laughs) and just like the oh shit look Triple H would get. Yep. (sighs) All right. After all that, are you ready for the lightning round? Absolutely. Let's fucking go. Jim Ross was forced into retirement. Yeah, again. That was a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, uh, that whole th- they had that forum with Ric Flair before the SummerSlam, and it really did not go over well. He, he got the blame for it. I love JR, and I don't want to speak bad about JR or anything, but like, there's been a number of times where his work as an executive has been, let's say, yeah. a little questionable. A <laughs> little bit, yeah. It just never seemed like he wanted to police the boys ever. And that's what he's there for, because God knows Vince Vince doesn't want to do that. He's literally human resources. That's literally his job. Duke the Dumpster Drozzy was arrested and charged with selling morphine to an undercover police officer. He had been working as a special education teacher. Okay, so that's a drag. Um, I don't know how he got morphine. Exactly. That's a weird thing to be selling on the street. Jacques Rougeau came out of retirement to wrestle in Quebec at the age of 53. Well, we we were talking about Jacques Rougeau retirement. It was like two weeks ago, and that was 1994. Yep. Still wrestling. Of course, 53 seemed a lot older then than it does now. I mean, everybody's fucking 53 now. 
CM Punk stopped a promo on Raw to call a fan who was heckling him a bitch and told him to shut his fat ass up. Yeah, there was some like there was footage of a couple of moments like this during this period. I'm pretty sure he said like the F slur to to, like somebody in the front row at a house show. Yeah. Yeah. Like CM Punk is your top baby face is going to be a little dicey at the best of time. Floyd Mayweather's fight against Canelo Alvarez drew 2.2 million pay-per-views and a grow pay-per-view buys and a gross of over $200 million. Like, it's almost a shame sometimes that we don't have an auxiliary sports podcast because there's so many things like that that I would like to dig into. Like, at a time where boxing was basically non-existent in terms of box office, one guy is carrying, like, these wild fucking pay-per-view buys. Canelo Alvarez fights, I feel like, to this day still draw. Because of this, yeah, because he became, like, a national hero fighting Mayweather. Didn't beat him. Nobody ever did. Nobody ever did. Paul Heyman dropped to a knee to propose to Ryback that he become a Paul Heyman guy. How are we getting wrestling proposals two weeks in a row? Oh, my God. I didn't even think about that, but you're right. Ring of Honor's Death Before Dishonor show's feed crashed as it aired on iPay-Per-View. A lot of people missed Adam Cole beating Michael Elgin to win the Ring of Honor heavyweight title. Damn. Obviously, I was not watching this as I was deep, deep, deep into my ROH hater (laughs) phase at this point. I do remember laughing about it a lot. (laughs) I remember, I don't know if this is the one, I remember Jim Cornette telling the story of them being in the production truck and literally somebody stepped on a surge protector and it caused the feed to crash. Jesus Christ. Um, Arnold Savoldi, the world's oldest living pro wrestler at the time, died at the age of 99. He was a five-time NWA junior heavyweight champion and later an agent in the World Wide Wrestling Federation in the 70s. Wasn't, like, the trivia question for, like, most of our youths, like, who's the oldest wrestler? Well, it's Gypsy Joe or this guy. And, like, I have no idea who it would be now. That's a shame. I wish I knew. Oldest living wrestler? Yeah, the oldest living, like, working wrestler. Like, Gypsy Joe was going at, like, 80. Yeah. Now that Terry Funk's dead. Yeah, I genuinely don't know. Puerto Rico's World Wrestling Council celebrated its 40th anniversary with a show headlined by Carlito versus Sting. Today we can only get that if they ever do an AEW versus WWE show. Though somehow both of these guys still going strong, Carlito's back yeah. in the mix. Man, he looks awesome. Yeah, when they got him at Puerto Rico and saw that he looked like a million fucking yeah. dollars, I guarantee you like, he didn't even get back to his car before Triple H had some paperwork in front of him. Tammy Sitch claimed that she had been mugged and then claimed she was adopting a baby from Cambodia. Then when some websites reported it, she claimed it proved how bad the websites were for reporting what she had said. I mean, realistically, you could absolutely do like an operation like that on a lot of these wrestling journalism websites because they don't check. They just report whatever they hear. Um, these were some weird choices by her though. Unfortunately, she wasn't doing super great at this Uh, time. And now she's in prison. Yeah. I believe this is when she was doing like, uh, like the sex. Well, okay. Actually, I think that came, 
That was God, a couple years before this. Yeah, I think that was before because like she had like a renaissance where she'd like really gotten like great yeah. shape and she was doing well, and then it kind of all fell apart again. Ricky Knight, Paige's father, wrestled what was billed as his retirement match against two of his sons. Yep. So much for that. <laughs> Hulk Hogan's TNA contract expired. That really didn't work out. Fuck. And that's the other funny thing is that, like, if you were a fan of TNA, like, let's say that, like, like everything in WWE has been going wrong, but you could always go to TNA. That had been the case oh. for a couple of years. TNA has now, like, a black hole grew at the st- at yeah. the inside of it, and it has now been sucked into oblivion. It's over. Ted DiBiase Jr. retired from wrestling. He's, I guess, gone on to a prosperous career scamming welfare now. Yeah, looks like he might be doing hard time. I'm in Cobb County, Georgia. Yeah. Holy shit. Oh, Glacier revealed in an interview that Stone Cold was one of the names considered for his character. I don't I, know if I buy that. I want you to imagine if yeah. that had actually happened. And, like, just because that would have taken it off the table for yeah. for, for Austin, and he would have had to be, like, Chili McFreeze or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what if they'd actually gone with Chili McFreeze because Stone Cold wasn't available? They genuinely wanted to, you guys. And finally, the hammer. The infamous match where Sin Cara broke his finger and demanded the referee stop the match took place. Alberto Del Rio was not happy and slapped the shit out of him. This is the start of some incredible enmity between Del Rio. They don't really like each other to this day, and they never really did. Um, It's just funny because, like, in Lucha Libre, he was literally like a god. Like, the only draw, one true chosen one. That, like, absolutely, if, like, he's the golden horse, if he gets hurt, Hell yeah, you're going to fucking stop the match and get him some medical treatment. But now he's fucking a mid-carder, and everyone's just like, just fucking walk it off, rookie. I think this was, like, the last straw for him, too. I think this was it. Everyone called him, like, weak. Like, oh, he's not tough enough. Fuck off. Like, this this industry sucks. How about the modern tie-in we get with this? Mystico is going to be on Rampage. I think... You know, when this drops on Friday, it'll be tonight. And Alberto Del Rio is trying to stir up rumors that WWE wants to bring him back, which they absolutely do not. God, can you imagine what a horrible oh, disaster that would be? God. Now, yeah. Mystico coming to AEW is something I could literally talk about for an hour because I feel like Mystico has been direly underreported on in general as a person over the course of his career. And like, this is a huge fucking deal, but we'll see if it actually goes anywhere before we spend time marking out about it. Oh, all right. So to get into the show, it's Sunday, April 6th, 2013. This is the first of two pay-per-views in October for WWE this year. That was a inauspicious stretch where they decided they should it's also of all the months to do two pay-per-views and october is a really weird one given that their business always goes down in the fall when they're up against monday night football that is absolutely true i don't know why they tried to pack them in like that like you would understandably be like oh you want to pack two into february to get like to take advantage of everyone having eyes on your product for this three-month span sure okay go for it 
We're at the first Niagara Center in Buffalo, New York. Not exactly Rhodes country. God, no. I don't even know whose country it would be, but not Rhodes. Beth Phoenix is from Buffalo. Yeah, Beth Phoenix country. Uh, there's 11,700 people in attendance, which pretty good crowd for Buffalo. I don't think that's quite a sellout, but not bad. It's funny because this is remembered as a dismal, horrifying failure, and that's because of the buy rate, which we'll get to in a minute. Yeah. But, like, selling that many tickets to a show in Buffalo when your product's this shit, actually, this is not bad. Uh, The show does 119,000 pay-per-view buys. That? Yeah. For reference, I'm pretty sure AEW's beaten this a number of times, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, AEW's record is over 200, I think. I mean, like, that's fucking wild. I mean, so, like, this is the lowest number they've done since December to Dismember, which was, I don't know, 80,000 or something. But that barely even counts. That was just 80,000 weird sickos like me. Like, this is actually, like, big stars on a show. And, like, let me look at something to compare it to from the previous year. This was the first battleground. But, I mean, the previous year they had Hell in a Cell in October. And it did 207,000 pay-per-view buys, which isn't an amazing number. But this is so far below. I mean, the other, like, other than December just member, you have to go back to, like in your house pay-per-views in 95 and 96 that were drawing barely a hundred thousand pay-per-view buys or less. Like this is a revolutionarily bad number. And part of that is because like pay-per-view buys this year are pretty much down across the board. Like it's a bad year, but also like this is just goes to show you. And I think that this was always historically true. If you put two pay-per-views on in one month, most people are going to buy one because most people can't budget a hundred fucking dollars for WWE pay-per-views. It's what AEW ran into. Like everybody who was going to buy one of their pay-per-views bought all in. And then not very many people bought all out the next week. Because like they're just you can get people to watch, but you're not going to get people to pay. No. Like, that's the thing. <laughs> On commentary, we got Michael Cole, JBL and Jerry Lawler. I'll actually have a lot of notes. I other commentary in the Rhodes Shield match was excellent. So I'll have a lot of notes on that. Yeah, mostly Jerry Lawler, this whole show seems like he's just like a third wheel, just kind of like following them around being like, hey, guys, I'm here, too. But the other two, I think, were actually very good tonight. On the pre-show, Dolph Ziggler defeated Damian Sandow in 10 minutes and 22 seconds. Hi, Dolph. Good to see you. <laughs> yeah. Dolph Ziggler was the world heavyweight champion, I don't know, two months before this. Yeah. Woof. He's fallen fast. He's also not even getting to feud with the authority is the thing when he's an obvious guy for it. It's also occurring to me now, I'm just kind of looking this over, and I'm not sure that there's anybody, but uh, I think there might be three people in the whole company who are still there that are on this show. Not Dolph Ziggler anymore. Not Dolph Ziggler. (laughs) Yeah. All right. One of our signatures has become that we like to play games, and this week the game is... What Jim? What is the Jim Crockett promotions or early '90s WCW equivalent of this match? Because we know that's what you know Triple H and Cody Rhodes were talking about. 
Yeah, literally, he's just like watching tapes and being like, oh, man, I could book that. I could do that exact storyline with Del Rio. Let's fucking do it. I would say the early 90s WCW equivalent of Dolph Ziggler has got to be Steve Austin, a guy yeah. who just can't quite break through. And Damian Sandow is Johnny B. Bad. Johnny B. Bad. Interesting. I said Mike Rotunda. Mike Rotunda makes way more sense. I was just making fun of him with Johnny B. Bad. Opening promo is kind of all over the place. They talk about the authority. They talk about Punk versus Ryback. They talk about the Rhodes against the Shield. And they talk about Brian versus Orton. This could have used an MTV music video. Absolutely. Like, they're doing the clips, but they're not connected with any kind of music or anything. So it's just kind of weird how they put it together. Opening match, we've got a no-DQ match for the World Heavyweight Championship as Alberto Del Rio defends against Rob Van Dam. What a random but wonderful surprise this was. I, first of all, can't believe that this existed at all. Second of all, can't believe it got 17 minutes. And third of all, kicked ass. Yeah, and third of all, can't believe how fucking good it was. Yeah, RVD. And they let RVD, like, they didn't, he was on a short term deal and they let him walk away after this. I think that's crazy. He was hot. I mean, he's a little bit older. Actually, you know what? RVD, perfect corollary to Jim Crockett. This is Terry Funk during the Flair feud. Like, yeah, kind of. Company is. thinks he's too old, but he's fucking killing it, man. Man, so RVD has Ricardo Rodriguez managing him. Ricardo is in jeans and an RVD t-shirt. He looks so bad and so weird. Like that, it's funny that that Del Rio split up. Like it really actually worked and they probably should have made it a much bigger deal than they actually did because it just kind of gets blown off in the summer and everybody forgets about it. But like people were genuinely pissed when Del Rio turned on him. RVD does so many cool things here. He does a beautiful moonsault off the security wall. He does a thing where he jumps over the top rope back into the ring and DDTs Del Rio down onto a chair. He does a, he tries to do a monkey flip while Del Rio's against the ladder and he misses and gets himself stuck in the ladder. And then Del Rio Uh, kicks him right in the back of the head. Yeah. Del Rio brings a trash can into the ring, but RVD kicks it into his ribs. He does the split-legged moonsault onto a ladder, and then he does the rolling thunder onto the ladder, but Del Rio moves. Like, dude, put in some work here. This is just a throwback to ECW. Let me say this. So I thought for sure that this was him coming directly over from TNA after they let his dates run out of his TNA contract. Actually, he was there was, for three more years. Yeah, that was that. three. That was 2010. That was three years before this. And literally, he said that he finally left because he fucking hated TNA so much he couldn't deal with it anymore. Like, he hated everybody there. Nobody gave a shit. Respect. You can tell that he's just like, I'm free now. I'm in a place where I'm not surrounded by assholes. Let's fucking go. Uh, Del Rio puts him in the cross arm breaker. Ricardo jumps in the ring and hits him with a bucket. Del Rio beats him up. Van Dam knocks down Del Rio. He throws the ladder on top of him. And then he does a five-star frog splash off the apron onto the ladder. This is fucking nuts. This is crazy. The amount of effort RVD put in here is wild. And Del Rio's taking some big bumps, man. 
RVD goes for the Van Terminator, but Del Rio moves. Del Rio then smashes Van Damme's arm in a chair and locks him in the cross arm breaker with the chair for the win. Hell of a match. It's only got like two and three quarter stars in the Wrestling Observer, which I think is bullshit. I'm going to say something that's going to get me like set on fire on the internet, and I don't care. My Jim Crockett comparison to this match is literally Flair versus Funk. Wow. But, like, this had no story to it. This had, like, no heat on it. And if it had, it may have actually resembled something like that. But just in terms of how the match is run, like, by a crazy yeah. hardcore psychopath versus the technician, this is that match. Interesting. I said the Crockett equivalent of tell, of um, Del Rio is definitely Tully Blanchard to me. Especially since he's a real-life asshole, too. Yeah. <laughs> and... RVD's a tough one because there really wasn't anybody like RVD in Crockett. I said um, Brian Pillman. Sure. Which, Tully Blanchard versus Brian Pillman sounds like a hell of a match. I would have loved to see that. Fuck yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. We go backstage to Zeb Coulter, Cesaro, and Jack Swagger. <sighs> uh, Zeb Coulter complains about the Mexicans and illegal Canadians he saw in Buffalo today. This is what I love because it's obvious that by this point in the real American, Zeb has been told, Hey, you need to knock this shit down a touch. Like we're getting bad publicity. So he's like them Mexicans, but actually I'm more mad about them Canadians. Yeah. And then he complains about Santino and Kali not being Americans. Cesaro, also not an American, but, you know, <laughs> realistic coalition politics that you throw in the, you know, white European in there who thinks he's superior to other immigrants. But I just love the idea that, like, yeah, this is our racist war against all other nations. We brought in a Swiss person. A That's Swiss. never happened ever in history. <laughs> uh, then they do a beautiful shot of Niagara Falls. This was awesome. Yeah, it looked great. And then... They didn't show the WWE ride at Niagara Falls. Maybe that had been shut down by then. There was a ride at Niagara Falls? There was. It was just like an L. It, it was a weird thing. I went to Niagara Falls once. And yeah, they had like a WWE store in some kind of ride. It was like a like an elevator type thing where you went like up and down and up and down. That sounds fun. Yeah, it was. I'm sure it was just something they got paid a license fee for. Right. Then we've got the Real Americans versus Santino and the Great Kali. The sole purpose of this match is so that Cesaro can swing Kali. And I am not complaining because this was the most amazing thing I've ever seen and a perfectly acceptable use of seven minutes of pay-per-view time. This is what I'm saying. Like, look. At this point, Kali has very little to offer. Like, he's physically butt broken down. But honestly, I think he's fun as fuck in this role. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it at all. And Santino is a good use of seven minutes of any of your time. Yeah. And then we get to see Cesaro do the swing on Kali. Yes! And he swings him ten times? Like, that that's like the clip that if they had put him in the Hall of Flame later, that's exactly the clip they yeah. would have shown. It's like... Kali is the biggest guy he ever swung, I think, because he never swung Big Show. I don't think he could do that. Did he get Henry? Because honestly, that seems harder because he's so I think he ever did Henry. Yeah, Henry's legs are so much shorter. Yeah, you need to have long legs to make this work. So Kali's probably wasn't even all that hard because he's proportionate. Mark Henry is just like a cannonball you have to swing. (laughs) 
of course, the real Americans win. Cesaro, I love Cesaro did the swing and then he just pinned Kali right after that because what? That's all we came to see. Yeah, it doesn't matter. And like, like I said, like Kali's not going to win any more matches. But honestly, like this Punjabi Playboy shit, it won like worst gimmick in the Observer. Like people need Chill to light out. the fuck up. Yeah. The Crockett equivalent. I said the Crockett equivalent of the Real Americans would be the Varsity Club. Absolutely. Versus uh, Giant Gonzalez. Which yeah. I think it's a pretty clear corner. That was an obvious one. Yeah. Kali's definitely Giant Gonzalez. I don't really know about Santino. Like PN News. I'm trying to think of some goofy like 90s, early 90s WCW gimmicks. Evad Sullivan. Evad. That's a good one. <laughs> Next, we've got Curtis Axel versus R-Truth. This is literally an episode of SmackDown. This is not a pay-per-view. You know what else it is? It's Stump Steve, baby! (laughs) Welcome to Stump Steve, where I believe my current record is something like 6-16. and I should really keep better track of that. Hopefully somebody (laughs) at home knows better than me. Okay, so... Curtis Axel here is the Intercontinental Champion. The only thing about Curtis Axel that is interesting in any way is that he is a second-generation wrestler. Sure. He is one of 17 men who are are second-generation wrestlers or third- or fourth-generation wrestlers who have been Intercontinental Champion. Can you name the others? Oh, God, I have to name 16 people? 16 people. Okay. Uh, Randy Orton. Randy Orton. Jeff Jarrett. Jeff Jarrett. Um, I'm trying to think of all the Intercontinental Champions. Uh, Carlito. Carlito. At least two of those people are also on this show. Mm. Uh, Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns. Oh, God. Intercontinental Champions. I I'm feel sorry. like... Three of these people are on this show. Gold Dust. Gold Dust. Cody. Cody. That's only one, two, three, four, five, six. Fuck me. Uh, who else is Christian Cage buried for their father? <laughs> um, God, other intercontinental champions who are second or third generation. Second or third or whatever generation. Um, okay, so I'll give Bret you this. Hart. Red Hart, yep. Um, Owen two, Hart. Owen Hart, yep. Uh, continue with your clue. Uh, I was going to say, three of two of them are from the 80s. Okay. Brett. No, Brett didn't win it till the 90s. Kurt right. Hennig. Kurt Hennig, yep. That's a good one, because his son also, yeah. That's yeah. Three, three generations. The toughest one, I think, is the earliest one in the history of the belt. But we'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, We have two from the early 90s, two from the late 90s, one from the early thousands, and one from the late thousands. Okay. Um, I think I'm just going to have to mentally start going through everybody who's had this belt. Um, I don't remember all the early champions. Like, Pat Patterson's not. I don't think Pedro Morales is. Um, I don't remember some of the early 
Intercontinental Champions. Uh, Greg Valentine. Greg Valentine's the one I thought you wouldn't get. There it is. Ooh, Johnny Valentine. <laughs> the first thing I was like, wait, is he John Johnny Valentine's son? I had to look up if it was kayfabe or real, but yes, it's real. <laughs> That's the thing. It easily could have been one of those fake wrestling families. There were a lot of those back in the day. Oh, yeah. Uh... Only six more to go. You're almost there. Six more. Um... Okay, so we're just going to keep working our way through who held this belt. Oh, Randy Savage. Randy Savage, yep. Uh, The next one isn't until the early 90s. Okay, so in the 90s, this belt went from the Ultimate Warrior to Mr. Perfect to Bret Hart, Kerry Von Erich. Kerry Von Erich, yep. By the way, did you see the trailer for the Von Erich movie? Looks absolutely incredible. I know I'm going to cry my eyes out. I'm not emotionally prepared. Uh, Carrie Von Erich, I think, back to Mr. Perfect. And who'd Perfect lose it to that time? Oh, this is when he. This is when Perfect loses it to Bret Hart. Uh huh. Bret, you're, you're right there. Loses it to the Mountie. And who is the Mountie? Uh, Jacques Rougeau. Jacques Rougeau. That's right. I didn't even think of him as a second generation guy. That's right. Okay. Now we're to the late 90s. Okay, 90s. so we can, I can jump forward. I don't have to start listing all the 90s Intercontinental Champions. Nope, uh, we got two Attitude Era guys. Okay, we're, we'll pick back up in like... In 1996, Ahmed Johnson has it, and then... He has to forfeit it, and who wins it after that, actually? A Triple H, and then The Rock. Oh, The Rock. The Rock, yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's a big one I didn't think of. The Rock, back to Triple H. Triple H has to forfeit it. Ken Shamrock gets it in a tournament. Shamrock... Billy Gunn, Val Venus. By the way, it's a sickness. That road, you can do road, this, dog, road, road dog. Road yes. dog. Where do we go to next? All right. So the next one is I'm trying to see exactly when. I think we're late 99, early 1000, something in there. Yeah. I mean, we're at like WrestleMania 15 right now. Yeah. So that it's right around here, maybe like a, a six months to a year later. Okay, where does this belt go after that? Jarrett holds it a bunch of times. Goldust gets it somewhere in there. Godfather, Edge, back to Jarrett. China, Actually, you know what? It's not in Jericho. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a little while here. 2002 is when it is. Okay, 2002. As we enter 2002... The Intercontinental Champions are like, it's like Edge and William Regal feuding over it, I think. Uh-huh. Where does it go after that? Uh, in the roster split, is RVD, Benoit. RVD does get this belt, if that helps you. RVD gets what belt? The Intercontinental belt. 
Well, he does. Yeah, it's RVD, and then it's Benoit, and they're trading it. Eddie Guerrero. Eddie Guerrero is number 16. Good job, buddy. Oh, my God, I got them all. You got them all. That's it, man. It's been a while. I'm trying to think who's the most recent guy on here. It's like Cody. I think Roman was the last one to hold Roman. it. Yeah, that was like 2016 or 2017. Now, wow. I wanted to... Hey, there's, you know who you forgot? You know uh, who's a second-generation wrestler, but in a weird reverse order? The who? Miz. Oh, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> I. You really didn't stump Steve when I'm adding things to it. I'm going to tell you, like, there's going to be, like, people out there who are going to remind me of, like, 13 people that I missed. Like, hey, yeah, did you know that... Did you know that actually uh, Bam Bam yeah. Bigelow's dad was blah, blah, blah. like, that's going to happen. And I accept that. <laughs> so about this match, about this match, I sometimes I do stump Steve on a match when I know it's not worth talking about <laughs> so we can get some time in. Yeah. Um, Axel wins in seven minutes with a neck breaker. Um what is the Crockett equivalent of this? I use, I said Mike Rotunda, but I don't know if it's fair. To, I think I used him a couple times already. Eric Watts. Eric Watts, yeah. And R-Truth. Who's the Crockett equivalent of R-Truth? JYD? I said JYD because I'm a dirty, dirty racist. I mean, unfortunately. But it's just like a happy-go-lucky character yeah. who's literally... I mean, Black Johnny man. B. Bad is also another good... That's that. a good one. A yeah. white man cosplaying as a black man. <laughs> oh, man. Eric Watts versus Johnny B. Bad would have been an unwatchable mess. We should thank <laughs> Curtis Axel and R-Truth for this. Because they aren't those Here's two. The thing, comparatively, this match was so much better than that. So much better. Like, this was a perfectly competent match. Like, Curtis Axel was just boring. He was a perfectly fine wrestler. It's just... Is it is it really just a case that, like, he was a little bit awkward and he's a little bit ugly, and then he had a giant bald spot and it basically killed his career? And, like, putting Heyman with guys who aren't on that level buries them, which they yeah. realize. I mean, they just did this stretch where they did Cesaro and Curtis Axel and Ryback, and it was awful for all of them to have Heyman managing them. Well, what I think that they didn't understand is that, like, Heyman really does the Heyman stuff for the guys that he personally manages in real life. Like, he personally pulled for Punk in every aspect of Punk's career. Lesnar. He really represents Roman. Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar for real. <laughs> You can't just give him a guy because Heyman obviously did not want to be out there with oh, Curtis Axel. Okay. Next up for the Divas title, we've got AJ Lee versus Brie Bella. Yep. <laughs> Brie is a baby face now because they've acknowledged that she and Daniel Bryan are engaged. And AJ Lee is a heel question mark sort of i guess everybody likes her though that's She's the thing the getting cheered here aj lee is deep into her well i guess i'm carrying this fucking division huh because <laughs> there ain't yeah. shit else here so we've got the fiance of cm punk against the fiance of daniel bryan which they don't bring that up about aj because no. That I mean, acknowledge that. Thank God that that's not all we're doing with our women's matches of being like all right we got everybody's fiancés out here <laughs> Uh, AJ gets the win with a roll-up because Bree was distracted by the fact that Tamina was choking Nikki out on the floor. Yep. I don't remember how Tamina ended up with AJ. I think they just needed to give her a bodyguard. 
And just for whatever reason, I mean, I appreciate that they always gave AJ somebody else bigger because it helped with the fact that she's literally like the smallest woman that they've ever had. Um, And it always kind of worked. Like she never didn't seem credible. Can you come up with a Crockett equivalent of this match? Oh boy. Okay. Are we going to do the wives thing? Like, I don't. All right, let, let's make them guys. Let's make have, them guys. Yeah, they didn't really have women. Like, Crockett didn't do women's wrestling for the most part. All right, so Brie is the less interesting member of a famous tag team. So what, like uh, Robert Gibson? <laughs> sure. And AJ Lee is somebody with a ton of charisma. Uh, let's say like uh, Jimmy Garvin. <laughs> sure. Okay. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. They do the promo for the Shields versus the Rhodes boys, and then we get an interview with Cody and Dustin and Dusty. Dusty says their family is at stake. He talks about people being out of work and how he knows what it's like to struggle. He says, win or lose, they'll be together as a family tonight. Dustin says um, the Shield have run over everyone in WWE, but they're just puppets for the authority. And after tonight, they'll never forget, the Rhodes is. And Cody says he's got half the charisma of Dusty, half the natural talent of Dustin, but he has a Cuban mom with a work ethic like no one else, and he'll do anything to protect his family. Tonight, they're not just fighting for their lives, they're fighting for their family. I love that they let Cody finish this off. Yeah, they do. And like Cody never had never had a signature promo before in his career, but he knocks it out of the park on this one. And like you can see how visibly fired up he is for real for this. Like this is the biggest opportunity I think he's ever gotten to this point. Yeah, I mean, he was in some, I mean, him and DiBiase main evented the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view against DX. That was four years ago. Right. But that was more about DX. I mean, fucking yeah. the Spirit Squad main evented with DX, too. <laughs> Yeah, like this is really his showcase, and he just, I mean, he crushes it in this match. Like, of all the times we've ever covered Cody Rhodes and WWE on this show, I always keep being like, it's not there, I don't see it, I don't see current Cody. This one match, this one night, I see the Cody the that we have today, yeah. Yeah, now he still needed to add 20 pounds of muscle, start wearing pants, and bleach his hair blonde, but... You can see is- it underneath. Yeah, this is what I think kept me believing in him, that he could still be a star, was this performance here, was what I would go back to. Yeah. All right. Tag, well, it's not for the tag titles. Reigns and Rollins are the tag champions, but the belts aren't on the line here. Um, Let me say this. On that night, I thought they were on the line, (laughs) so I thought they had won the belts. Yeah. It's Reigns and Rollins with Ambrose backing them up on the floor. They come out first, and then Cody and Dustin and Dusty come out to Dusty's music. Um, great reaction for them. Um, Dustin is in his full. I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna call him Dustin because it feels right, but he's in the full gold dust getup. Would you have rather him come out as Dustin Rhodes? I would. It would have been kind of cool to see the natural here. But, like, the fans don't know the natural. Uh-huh. And, like, I think it helps that he's gold dust because, like, yeah. the fan reaction definitely he is. He gets a great dust. reaction as gold dust. People, I mean, like, I do. Cody's great in this match, but I feel like the crowd was more into gold dust. Yeah, this is gold dust renaissance where he's yeah. come back and suddenly he's the best wrestler in the world out of nowhere. In that 
in the shoot interview I saw with Cody where he was talking about this time, he was like, and then Dustin came back and he had too good of a match with Randy and they had to sign him to a contract. <laughs> that match would roll. I mean, him and Orton is such a part. Like, it's just like Randy Orton fighting himself, it feels like. Oh, yeah. It just flows like water, man. It's like two of the like mo- five most naturally talented people ever to enter a ring. I could watch those guys power slam each other all day. Yep. Um, Cole, you know, talks about how he thinks the teams are evenly matched, but that in terms of corner man, like Ambrose gives the shield a major advantage over Dusty. Obviously, Dusty is a great coach to have on the floor, but Ambrose is a physical presence that Dusty's not going to be able to match up to. Or can he? Also, the Shield is a cohesive unit yeah. that has never been beaten, and Cody Rhodes and Goldust have literally never teamed together. Yeah, never teamed up even once in their entire careers. Uh, Cody and Dustin start fast. The Shield bail out to regroup. I mean, I do love this matchup because it's like Dustin and Roman are, weirdly enough, almost a perfect matchup. Obviously, Dustin is a lot older but he's the same. He's bigger than Roman. He's right. got a couple inches on him, and he's got a huge experience edge. And like Cody and Rollins, like a very good matchup in terms of size, quickness, technical ability, and experience. And I feel like we got to put this in context because like they don't really do it on the show as much as I wish that they would have. But like the Shield at this point is still like an unbeatable, invincible force that is mowed through absolutely everybody. Like, they're casually wrestling this match, assuming they're going to annihilate them. They're not, like, they had just claimed the tag titles because they were bored, but they didn't, they kind of ran out of stuff for them to do. I think Roman had just taken, like, the first pin of his WWE career a few weeks before this when, for some reason, Triple H booked the Shield in an 11 on 3 handicap match. It was very weird. And, like, almost, they almost won that yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah, they eliminated a bunch of the guys. Like, that's where the shield is now. Like, they are an unassailable force when they're together, and they are. Like, that's what the Cody Rhodes and Goldust are up against. And I think it may have been Jey Uso who pinned Roman there, believe it or not. No shit, really. The Usos were in that match. I think it might have been Jey who got him with a a big splash. Oh, they should have brought... If that's the case, they should have brought that shit up. All six guys face off. Dusty whips off his belt as an equalizer. And, like, he quickly puts it back on yeah. afterwards because he's clearly like, oh, shit, this is really holding my pants up. His I pants are going to fall down. He'd lost a lot of his weight. A lot of weight. His pants didn't really fit anymore. Yep. Uh, the shield gets control. They work on Cody. Cody recovers. He hits a moonsault on Rollins. He tags in Dustin. Dustin hits Roman with one of the signature uppercuts and then an inverted atomic drop. Uh, Goldust gets knocked to the floor, but he manages to get back in the ring right before the 10 count. Of course, they lost by any means is a loss for the Rhodes here. They have to win the match. Yeah. Uh, Dustin gets worked over for a couple minutes until he catches Rollins with a power slam. And he makes the hot tag to Cody. Cody flies in with a springboard missile drop kick, which Rollins like does a backflip off of. Cody's doing shit in this match that I've never yeah. seen him do before or since. 
He hits the Bob Holly kick to the gut and then the Alabama slam. Rollins kicks out at two. Cody hits a muscle buster. I only saw him do this like three or four times. The problem is when Joe big enough to do this. When Joe does the muscle buster, he's strong and sturdy enough that he like sit he like carries you through the whole thing. Cody would get them like to the part where they're teetering backwards and then he would go like neck first to the ground with them. That's bad. Don't do that. Cody hits the disaster kick. Well, wait. First, Reigns breaks up the pin. Dustin jumps in. Reigns levels him. But then Cody catches Reigns with a disaster kick and a clothesline over the top. Um, Dusty and Ambrose get into it on the floor. Dusty rips the belt off, nails Ambrose with the belt buckle, and then KOs him with a bionic elbow. Crowd goes nuts for that. Just absolutely apeshit. And then in a moment, I really get hope we get to see repeated someday. Reigns stalks Dusty, but Dustin comes flying in and just throws his body into Reigns and knocks him out. This is what I wanted for WrestleMania this year, and I would love it if they could do this at WrestleMania this next year. When Solo goes to interfere, if Dustin would jump the railing and take him out, I think the crowd would go wild. Absolutely. And the best part about this is, this is exactly like the system that they've set up to show you that the Shield are just going to win another match, right? Yeah. Like, all right, we got our nice baby face moment, but oh, here comes Roman. He's going to spear him, and then they're going to go in and hit the triple power bomb, and they're going to end. Like, we've seen it like 40 times in this same year. What we haven't seen is Dustin Rhodes come flying in at 100 fucking miles an hour and taking out Roman Reigns. So now they got their chance. We're down to just, you know, it's Cody one-on-one with Dustin. No excuses here. Or Cody one-on-one with Rollins. Gotta beat him. Um, Rollins rolls Cody up, and I think everybody's stomach drops when they see that. I thought it was it. Like, I, I thought watching it now, knowing the end, I thought that was it. Because you could have, like, Cody sell out and turn heel to get his job back was where I could have seen this going. Here's the thing. Long term for his career, I Cody and the, the authority is a great idea. Oh, that would have been great. Turning on his family like, yeah, fuck you, I never scumbag. needed you, Dusty. This, this fucking terrible family I'm a part of. Fuck you guys. I got a new family now. Uh, Cody gets thrown into the corner. He like does a backflip and lands on his feet and gets Rollins with the best crossroads he has ever hit. He jumps into the air. Rollins jumps into the air. And so they do like a fucking RKO crossroads. This is so great. And he covers, he gets the one, two, three, the roads win. What a match. So the moment he hits the crossroads too, like I'm not even sure I had ever seen him win a match with that fucking thing before. (laughs) (laughs) Had Cody ever won a match in WWE before this? So like the crowd, like when he gets it on, like starts to go crazy. But when he actually hits it, they like go insane. And then the pinfall happens and then they go triple insane. Yeah. It must be said too. When these guys come out, it's a good reaction, but the crowd's not into this match when it starts. Really? It's only a 14 minute match. Over the course of it, they go from, eh, okay, to 
This is the hottest tag team match I've seen since like Jericho and Benoit yeah. versus Austin and Triple H. It is rocking. By the end of this, every single person in this arena was on their feet. And not just for the finish, like for the last five minutes, they were up on their feet. Yeah, there's this thing where like Cody's like got his back turned and Rollins comes for the roll up. And they do that. You hear like women screaming like you do in like <laughs> Rock and Roll Express matches. Like, no. Yeah, everybody's just like, Cody, turn around. <laughs> Oh, man. I mean, the Shield, an incredible force, but what stronger force in the world could there be than the love of sons for their father? Here's the thing. This really goes nowhere. Cody and Cold Dust don't get anything out of this in the long term. They get the tag belts a few weeks after this, which gets an amazing pop when they win. Yeah, and then Cody becomes Stardust Stardust. like six months later. (laughs) Yeah, and it ruins his career. Yeah, you want to team with your brother, eh? Well, fucking put the costume on, you prick. (laughs) I mean, where where should that have gone? Between Cody and Dustin, which one should have turned on the other? It should have been Cody, because there's no long-term future in Goldust as a heel. Other than to put Cody over. Yeah, like, young. You think prick, at this point Cody's a heel? If you look at the authority as like basically his evolution, right? With Triple H in the Ric Flair role, oh, and now Randy's in the Triple H role. The there you go. Like that's oh. the way to do it. <sighs> yeah, but I don't know. I love Babyface Cody so much, but he he's just in a different place. Like he could become such a big Babyface because he was a heel, and the way he eventually turned Babyface was that incredible match he had with Dustin, a double yep. or not then. And like I said, that's the thing too is that like we get no character progression really for the Rhodes Dustin thing until from here until AEW, but like. Yeah. It's so hot here in this one moment. Most people have forgotten that just in like the cultural memory, when we get to double or nothing and we have that match, like it's on fire just because of this from years before. Cody had pitched them. Let me and Dustin do a thing like five different times. It feels like, and they would just never go. They teased it in the rumble. It's felt like three years in a row and they would just never do it for whatever reason. And then when they finally have a match, it's a totally lackluster match at fast lane 2015. And it's dropped after that. And they had like no build to it. No lead in like nothing. And like literally AEW was founded for, I believe, two fundamental purposes. One, to get over Hangman Page because yeah. all of them thought that he was the future. And two, so they could finally put that match in the ring. <laughs> and it was unbelievable when they did it. I it's just, literally the what, basis that AEW is, was founded on. What is more compelling than the Rhodes family? I don't need a partner. I need my brother. Everything these guys ever did together was magic. Even Goldust and Stardust, because the whole time I was just like, oh, fuck, when Cody turns, this is going to be ugly. Because I thought Cody was going to turn and be like, like, look at you, you freak. You think I'm like you. I'm nothing like you. Yeah, literally just like one segment of him in the middle of the ring taking off the makeup and being like, I did this shit to try to be your brother, but you're a freak and I'm not like you. I'm a star. Like, you disgust me. You didn't deserve to be part of our family. I'm glad Dusty threw you out. You deserved it. Because there's so much between them that genuinely went unsaid. And, like, even in, like, the few that they eventually had, they didn't really get into that. Like, 
There's think a lot they left on the guys, table. Look, how much do you think these guys must have resented each other? And oh, I, I bet see you, it. I can see it from either of their perspectives. Yeah, they're both right. Like, <sighs> Dust, Dustin's just like the guy Cody would see at Christmas, and he was just a miserable, sullen prick. And he's like, fuck you, man. I don't know yeah. you. And, like, Cody is the golden boy. He's the perfect one. He does everything right because, you know, dad screwed up with me, but he learned everything he did wrong, and now he's going to fix it with his perfect golden boy, Cody. Well, I would have liked to have a dad, but I didn't. And you think you can just shove me under the rug because, like, you fucked up and you can just make it all better now, but you don't. But I'm a better wrestler than you'll ever be. That's the thing, and that's what they could have gotten into is that – Really, as great as Cody is, Dustin is Dustin way Rhodes more talented. Wrestle, like I love Cody. Dustin Rhodes, like even now, fifty-something-year-old Dustin can wrestle circles around Cody. He's so much more athletic. It's just the thing is that like Dustin Rhodes is one of the most natural wrestlers who ever lived, and Cody Rhodes is an awkward, stumbling, yeah, not natural athlete. <laughs> Cody can't even like we've all made fun of his duck walk. He can't even run. His moonsaults are ugly as sin. Like everything yeah. he does, he has to he's work like, his like ass John off. John Cena. Yeah, it's actually very similar. Like John he Cena, just grinds. Yeah. yeah. Oh, in fact, uh, okay. So we got to do a Crockett comparison now. Okay, this is hard. I said Cody and Dustin are like Dusty and Dustin teaming up. And the shield, it's either the horsemen or the freebirds, I feel like. Like, the freebirds are the dominant three-man unit, but, like, the horsemen are their eternal rivals and, like, the baddest team out there. You can't imagine how you could beat Arn and Tully or Arn and Ole. It's funny, too, because if you had put Dustin and Dusty in here against the four horsemen, it would have been basically this match with this heat. (laughs) Yeah. And somehow this is, can you imagine this match in Atlanta or Charlotte instead of Buffalo? And especially since Dustin would have been like 18 at the time. And like, also Vince tried to put essentially this match in the ring at a WrestleMania, didn't he? Well, Dusty and Dustin teamed up against uh, DiBiase and Virgil at that Rumble. All right. Um, and then Dusty very abruptly got fired because I think Vince found out he was back channeling to WCW. But was that during the period where they were genuinely considering Dustin as an opponent for Hogan? Um, I think that I think the pitch for that was for WrestleMania nine. So it was a couple years later. OK, but yeah, I mean, they they saw the world in Dustin at that point. But he ended up I don't think he wasn't under a contract. So he just went to WCW with Dusty. How his life could have been different. Yeah. Anyway. Like the the locker room empties and all the baby faces come out and celebrate. Plus Arn, Dean Malenko, Finley, and Mike Rotundo, which I loved that all the agents come out to. Seeing in retrospect now, seeing Cody like hug Arn Anderson yeah. because Arn knows what a big moment this is for Cody is such a nice moment. Oh man. What a great match. Can't put that over enough. I God, how why didn't they put this on last? This would have been such a good way to end the show. This is what I'm saying. This might be my favorite mid-card match in yeah. WWE history. Like I'm not even joking. Like it's we'll just we get into the intermission here. Yeah. Um and like we when we get to the main event, the show cannot end in the way that they ended it. But if that had been in the middle here, okay. It's fine. Mm, fine. Yeah, yeah it's fine. and then 
end with this unbelievable moment. And they really just should have had the tag titles on the line here too, just yeah. because like that would have made it worthy of the main event. Uh, they do a panel segment with Josh Matthews, The Miz, Titus O'Neil, and Tensai. It was very weird to see that this was Babyface Miz. Yeah, every time I see Babyface Miz, I have to do it. But he starts talking. I'm like, wait, why is he being a dick? Oh, this is that one year he was a Babyface. Yeah, and he's so excitable and gross. I hate it. <laughs> we go to Brad Maddox's office where he's on the phone. He gets off the phone and tells Vicky Guerrero that Triple H and Stephanie had to leave and they've left him in charge of the show and he needs her help. And she walks away laughing at him. Fucking Brad Maddox, man. (laughs) Is there a Crockett equivalent of Brad Maddox? I don't know. Is there anybody who had an incredibly short run and is more known for banging somebody? Um, I don't know. (laughs) Um... Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. There you go. Let's say, actually, okay. Yeah, sure. Hot Stuff Eddie (laughs) Gilbert. (laughs) I feel like there's others that I thought more about. Buddy Landau. Sure. Next up, Bray Wyatt versus Kofi Kingston. Okay. They actually got 113,000 people to pay, like, 60 bucks for this show were you one of them yes steve uh, yes of you course had you was. had to see the roads against the shield that's all i paid tuned in for i'm not sure that i watched the main might not have finished show. it yeah oh man so bray has been around a few months and they just don't have anything for him to do they're just putting him in random matches that's the funniest part is they reference like the ring of fire match. And I was like, Oh God, is it, is it that new for the Wyatts? And they already have him wrestling yeah, Kofi on. Just deb- he just debuted in the summer. Jesus Christ. And like debuted in like the hottest imaginable fashion. Like we, we referenced this before, but where his like entry vignettes were main eventing Ross. And here he's working with Kofi Kingston. I think he wrestled my, he may have wrestled our truth at night of champions. I honestly think that some unfortunate would... implications to having the redneck group beat up all the black guys on the roster. Yeah, there sure is. Remember when they did that with Rusev? And he like literally was like doing like the opposite of a white boy challenge. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the commentary makes a reference to congressional dysfunction, showing <laughs> that some things never change. Yeah, um, I believe they specifically said like there's a government shutdown. Yeah. I was like, well. Here yeah, we are again. familiar. Yeah, this is the uh, 2013 Obamacare shutdown. Uh, maybe by the time this airs, we'll have a speaker in the house. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, the crowd is just dead silent for this. They could not be quieter. Here's the thing. I really think that if I was choosing how to use Bray Wyatt, I'm not. I would not have been having him wrestle. No, like not that often. I, I think he should probably mostly be managing Harper and Rowan and kind of build to him actually getting in the ring. Yeah, I love the idea of Harper wrestling this match against Kofi. And yeah. then like at the end, they all whoop Kofi's fucking ass. That sounds great. Yeah, Bray just gets in and does the sister Abigail at the end. But even though this is a good performance by Wyatt, like he's doing good shit and everything, like it just exposes him yeah. to have him to be just like everybody else. It makes him way too normal. I think, yeah, yeah. he should not have just been do- like he. Yeah, I think you could have gone months without him actually getting in the ring and really built the intrigue. 
WrestleMania, man. Someone finally gets him in the ring. What if they actually dragged it out all the way to WrestleMania without him wrestling? Until Cena is just like, you are going to get your ass in the ring and you are going to wrestle me. And then, like, because his style is very visually interesting. And I think it would work really well for rare matches. It's just that he does the same shit every time. So it gets old. How many times can you see the crab walk? Although exactly. the, crab, the crab walk is the scariest thing I've ever seen in wrestling. If the crab walk, the first time you saw it was in that WrestleMania match yeah. with Cena, we would have shit our pants. <laughs> uh, Bray wins when he counters the SOS into Sister Abigail. And then after the match, he gets on the mic and he says some stuff. I genuinely don't know what he said. And that was only I watched it two hours ago. He says something like, all your heroes will fall, which I guess is sort of the explanation for why he's just going to beat up every mid-card baby face. One of these times that somebody's just like, oh, I'm going to beat all of blah, blah, blah. I wish they'd have like a list and you like see them like have like yeah. a checklist of like, here's all the baby faces on Raw. One, one. Sort of like the Mortal Kombat thing where like, all right, you beat Kofi Kingston. Now you move down the list. The Crockett equivalent, Bray Wyatt's definitely Kevin Sullivan. Definitely. And Kofi Kingston, a young athlete baby face. Ricky Morton. Uh, uh, Johnny, B, Johnny B. Bad. Uh, Tom Zank. Tom Zank, that's a good one. Versus Kevin Sullivan. And that's exactly how I feel about this match. Yeah. God. Uh, the Mighty Fall by Fallout Boy is our theme song tonight. Good for them for getting somebody, a, a band people have actually heard of. It's actually a surprisingly credible band. Yeah, for Battleground. Yeah. Next, we've got CM Punk versus Ryback in a match straight out of CM Punk's Nightmares. Here's the thing. I don't hate the idea of this feud. We're no, like They had an awesome match the year, the Hell in a Cell match yes. they had the year before this kicked ass. So, like, the idea of, like, Ryback still hates Punk. And Paul Heyman, as usual, is looking to jump from one big thing to the next big thing. So he's chosen a big monster in Ryback to protect him. That's just his M.O. Makes total sense. There's nothing wrong with this feud that wouldn't be fixed by Ryback not being so ass. But he is really ass. This is the thing Punk talked about on that Colt Cabana podcast where Ryback tried to press slam him onto a table and missed the table and hurt him, which yeah. I, I swear like a month ago, Ryback posted a video trying to explain that he didn't actually mess up and hurt him, which it, Ryback just never lived this down. It feels like it ruined his career. Yep. I mean, and I don't know that that's necessarily unfair though. It's funny because like there are a couple examples you could point to, to him, like notably botching, but then there's that time he saved Kalisto's life yeah. from a botch. So, like, I don't know. It balances out. Um, Ryback was not a very good wrestler. Also, like, I love this bully character for Ryback, but CM Punk as a babyface is a miserable fit for basically any feud. CM Punk is a bully. And, like, that's the thing. These are two unlikable pieces of shit managed by an unlikable piece of shit. I just, in his entire career, was CM Punk ever a good babyface? I mean, that match with Lesnar, it worked. Yeah, Um, against Lesnar. And there were some moments in Ring of Honor. That's about it. Yeah. This was not a particularly good match. It went on a very long time. 
again, like there's this feeling that since we're like higher up into the main event, like we got to give these people more time. But do you really need to give Ryback matches more than ten minutes? I don't know oh, that you do. Sweet Jesus, no! It's the you remember the time thing. they give like Ryback and Cena like forty five minutes? Oh my god! I think that Hell in a Cell match between Punk and Ryback was barely ten minutes, and it was awesome. This is what was special about that match. Ryback had an aura coming in like, I am going to kill CM Punk. That's going to happen. That felt like, I mean, the Goldberg-Lesnar match hadn't happened, but that was what could have happened there. Like, that's what I expected. Just like, oh, well, they finally got that match in the ring, so Punk's going to get pinned in 30 seconds. And that would have been satisfying. They probably should have done it, honestly. Uh, the finish comes when Heyman distracts the referee, and that allows Punk to hit a low blow and pin Ryback. Yep. Says he won- Punk's discontent is really growing, and he's going to quit a few months after this. It's funny, though, because if he hadn't quit, I'm not really sure what he's even doing. Here's the thing. It feels weird that he is almost off in his own little section. Yes. Like, his feuds have nothing to do with anything else on the card. When it would make way more sense for him to be involved in this authority storyline. And they do eventually get to that because he does start feuding with the authority not that long after this. But, yeah, this is just when their writing is very segmented and they just they don't want to cross things. They don't want to cross the streams. It's like, why not? Like Heyman being scummy and sucking up to the authority makes all the sense in the world. Them finally having like Punk's music hit during a Curtis Axel match was literally the first time any of Heyman's clients had crossed over into another segment aside from like the punk Lesnar thing. Yeah. Like, why are we doing that? Punk had had a match with Axel at night of champions the previous month. So it wasn't really. Yeah. It's just fucking weird, man. Okay. What's our Crockett equivalent? Uh, Ryback, either Lex Luger, Nikita Koloff, right? Yeah, I think so. Maybe the war, maybe the warlord. Who's Punk, the mer- the Mercurial Star? Dusty? Stan? <sighs> See, it's he's got to be more chaotic than that to me. Yeah. Maybe he's Luger. <laughs> <laughs> I like that just because I feel like it would make CM Punk punch me. Yeah, I feel like it'd be so fucking um, we haven't used Magnum TA, but I don't, is Magnum, Magnum TA in Punk doesn't feel right. Are you really good about to compare this to Magnum TA and Nikita Koloff, you psychopath? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't even, yeah, I don't know what to say this is like. I just, yeah, I don't have, like, Punk and Crockett, it's hard to find, a, I don't, I don't, I can't find a great comparison. Like, yeah. Because did they have? I'm trying to think of anybody who was an edgy babyface back then. An edgy babyface, or a smart favorite, or somebody who like bails out of the company. I don't really know that they had anybody that meets these qualifications. Ric Flair, when he would be a babyface, would be an edgy babyface. Maybe Flair is the right choice, but I mean, then like, in this case, it's like Punk and Ryback. The previous year was a hundred percent like Ric Flair versus Lex Luger. And this and Ryback is like. 1995 road warrior hawk <laughs> yeah it's over for him it's already over all right main event time for the wwe championship randy orton versus daniel bryan um man i was thinking this match was going to be really good but it really wasn't this match is bad <laughs> oh orton had a rough night 
And like it's bad. It's mostly bad because of Orton. But honestly, it's not really clicking for Brian either. These uh, two don't have amazing chemistry together. It feels like they should just because Randy's such a good bully heel, but it just doesn't click for whatever reason. I don't think Randy likes to go at the pace that Brian likes to go at. And like yeah. he's he's more about smooth and Brian's more about pace and it just doesn't they seem like they were in each other's way. Well, and it just feels like but it feels like it would work that Orton is just going to wear Danielson down and get him down on the mat and beat him down and then Danielson's going to fire up and do his comebacks, but Orton's going to shut him down again each time. But instead, it's just a ten, like 10 minute heat segment to start the match here. I also feel like they're both like, we're not going to use up all our good shit here because no. they're going to make us wrestle Stupid. again in a month. So yeah. like there's no finish to this bullshit. Like, why bother? Oh, man. 25 minutes this goes. That's the thing. If you're going to do that. Def- that definitely feels like Crockett. If you're going to do that, you could have just gone 15 and like gotten the fuck out of here. Like, you don't need to do this. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I don't know. Danielson does all his signature stuff. The crowd does start getting into it when he does the yes kicks, when he does the drop kicks. Orton cuts him off with an exploder suplex. That was a nice spot. I love his exploder suplex. I just love, again, I love that that's probably like the one thing that he got from like watching, being on the bus with Cena, being forced to watch his All Japan tapes. <laughs> Orton went for the RKO, but Brian slipped out. Brian got him in the yes lock. At this point, Big Show's music hits. Okay. I okay. Guess. I mean, that's the insurance policy, right? Yeah, it's kind of like, well, he could be helping Brian or he could have sold out. We'll see. He runs down, he pulls the referee out of the ring, and then he knocks out Danielson. At this point, Brad Maddox brings out Scott Armstrong. Armstrong goes to count the pin, but Big Show pulls him out of the ring and knocks him out, too. This is also some really good acting from Show, because, like, as Armstrong's coming down and everyone's freaking out because, oh, so they have themselves a corporate referee. That's great. And just, like, the look of anguish on his face, like, am I really going to be part of this bullshit? Am I going to let, like, a fucking screw job happen just right in front of me? You can just, like, see him working himself up. What I love is, how many years did Scott Armstrong as the crooked rep? Like, that went on for years and years. Because it's fucking smart. Like, it just makes sense. Like, the authority has this guy in their pocket. They'll always have him in their pocket. Even when the authority's gone, people are still like, yeah, you're a fucking scumbag. Uh, Big Show then knocks out Orton, and that's the end. There's no finish. There's no winner. There's no decision. Big Show's music plays. The moment of palpable dismay from the crowd when Big Show's music hits and he climbs the ropes to pose, and they're like, wait. That's it? Yeah. Because they, I mean, they were popping when, you know, everybody, when Big Show knocked out Brian, it's like, ah, oh, shit, swerve. But then when he knocks out the referee and Orton, it's like, oh, like, Danielson might actually win here. Yeah, if he walks away then, and then they're just in the ring, and then we get a finish, that could be a hot finish. There's nothing wrong with this interference. It's just you can't end on that. 
Did you catch the guy in the front row screaming, please retire at Big Show? (laughs) (laughs) No, I did not. (laughs) This is one of the worst endings to any pay-per-view I can ever remember. Just like, and like watching Big Show awkwardly climb the ropes and like pose, it made me realize I don't think I've ever seen him do that before in my entire life. Because I don't think he's ever been standing tall at the end of a pay-per-view. <laughs> we went through it before Very the show. Rarely. I could think of like two. The time he won the title and that's about it. It's just fucking crazy. Like he doesn't even know what to do with himself. Like, oh, I guess I I, I climbed the ropes like The Rock. Okay, I guess I'll do that. There was the time he betrayed Cena and helped Johnny Ace beat him. Sure. Good memories. What a miserable ending to this pay-per-view. I just, again, people paid 60 bucks for this. And they don't even get a decision in the main event. Why not just have Orton win? And then you you can finish it with Hell in a Cell the next month. Yeah. They'd be 1-1. One, one. I don't know. I don't know, man. Like, honestly, what I would have done is have, like, I would not have had show like turn on the authority here. I would have just had him like Orton pin Brian after the punch. And then to see like the anguish on the show's face and then carry that through, build some heat. Like they're going to get to that Orton big show match, but do it at like the rumble. Don't do it here. Like do it like the next month. The, the just dead silence for that match at survivor series is something I remember. Just, I don't think I've ever seen a crowd less engaged in a pay-per-view main event than that. There's literally like two weeks of this big show push, which is great, but they've already turned him. Like none of this means anything. All right. What is the Crockett equivalent? Okay. Who's Orton is really the question here. I mean, he's playing the role of Ric Flair. He's the wrestling world champion with the big heel stable backing him up. Let me let me pitch you this. Sting versus Rick Rude. Hmm, because it never quite worked the way that it should. Yeah, that's interesting. I was going to say Ricky Steamboat for Danielson. Yeah, Ricky Steamboat could really be either one of them, to be honest. But like <laughs> The dragon yeah. and the American dragon. Yeah, Steamboat wrestling himself. <laughs> Wouldn't you love to see that? Yeah, like, there's just something clunky about this, and I'm not sure. There aren't a lot of those, but, like, Rick Rude comes to mind. Ricky Steamboat and Rick Rude, I feel like, were hitting this when they wrestled, too. That might be a great comparison here. Ricky Steamboat and Rick Rude in the early 90s. Yeah. Because I feel like they had one classic, but also, like, one really bad match. Oh, they and they had a horrible match uh, at the first Royal Rumble. Oh, I remember that now. Yeah. The match was terrible. It was just like a 15-minute headlock. There you go. Now, I want you to understand, even in early uh, 90s WCW, they would not have main evented a pay-per-view with Rick Rude versus Ricky Steamboat. But here we are. And with, I don't know who the equivalent of the of the big show is, running in to interfere. God, I don't know. Vader. Except Vader's cool at that point. Yeah, that's the this company does. I was thinking about that. This company doesn't have a Vader, and that's something they're kind of missing. That physical presence. They haven't had one since Hall of Pain, Mark Henry, and they may never have one again. 
Man, Hall of Fame Mark Henry definitely was Vader. That's a good. No, you know what? Peak Braun Strowman was Vader. Sure, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so that's a wrap on this pay per view. I mean, very much a one match show. But man, that match! Like, I'm not even joking with you. Go watch this match, and if you don't believe us, if you don't agree with us at the end that it's incredible. I would say that I'd give you something, but actually I have nothing to say to you. Like, you're not my friend. Uh, yeah. Like, what a strange show. Just a show that, at best, you could say this felt like a Clash of the Champions. Yep. And this would, and if this was a TV special, it would have been just fine. Yeah, you could have cut this down to four matches and made it a perfectly appropriate, like, huge SmackDown, right? Yeah. Yeah, if you had the Shields and the Rhodes boys on free TV, everybody would have loved that. Yeah, you just do a Del Rio and Van Dam take out the Wyatt match. You can still do Punk and Ryback, even though it sucks. And then you can finish SmackDown with the big show standing tall. Fuck it. It's a TV show. Who cares? You didn't pay yeah. 60 bucks for that. And you get the tease of, you know, the big main event, but it goes to a DQ. And that's just kind of what we expect on TV. Yeah. In fact, yeah, I wish this had been a SmackDown. It would have been the hottest fucking SmackDown in years. But instead, it's just a really shitty pay-per-view. All right. Next time, we're going to be covering No Mercy 2016. This is, I feel like, another deep cut with one really great match on it, Tom. This is going to have the great Miz versus Dolph Ziggler Intercontinental title match. I love that we're just ticking off matches that we personally are like yeah. fucking nerds for. Though I think that there are a lot of people out there who are sickos for that match. Like <clears throat> this is almost like the the Dolph Ziggler memorial match, his very finest moment. Yeah, that's a great match. Um also on this show, we've got a triple threat match with AJ Styles defending the WWE title against John Cena and Dean Ambrose. And I don't know, like I just I enjoyed this rot like that 2016 roster split. I really loved about the first year of that. I just thought they had some really interesting and intriguing stuff going on. Yeah, this is just a great opportunity to talk about that brand split, about like Shane McMahon and Daniel Bryan running the show and like the identity they actually managed to give SmackDown that made it genuinely competitive with Raw for the first time in years. Yeah, so. It'll be fun to talk about. Uh, the other thing that's notable notable about this show happened the same night as one of the Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump presidential debates. I don't know why there was a presidential debate on a Sunday night, but there was. And it was one of the most notable ones ever because it was two days after the Access Hollywood tape and nobody had a damn clue what was going to happen. And so this is one of the only WWE shows of all time where the main event goes on first. Yep. Because they knew there was no point in trying to go up against the debate, so they threw the main event out there to start. In fact, I believe, like, Ziggler and Miz are, like, head-to-head with, like, the heated part of the debate, so, like, no one actually fucking no saw one it. actually saw it live. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think Randy Orton and Bray Wyatt is the main event. It is, yeah. Yikes. Yeah, we're going to try not to bury Bray, but, you know, as we get further away from his death, we're going to get closer to having to do that. And we're going to play a game of who did this wrestler vote for in the 2016 presidential election. Spoiler alert, it's going to be depressing. A lot of them voted for Trump, I'd say. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. All that and more next time on The Lawcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time.